We are in Romans chapter 8 this morning, Romans chapter 8, verses 12 to 17. We've been in a series in the book of Romans. It's really a letter written to the church at Rome, and we're halfway through. We're at this pinnacle chapter, Romans chapter 8. We're going to work through this section today, then we're going to pause for Advent and pick up Romans again uh, at the beginning of the new year. But today, uh, what we're going to do is talk about a concept called the family of God. So I don't know what you think about when you think about family. Usually when people hear the word family, they uh, naturally and instantly relate it to their own experience. Either it was great or it was not, right? It was, it was good or it was bad. Family of origin really is the most uh, consequential relational construct in a person's entire life. And I, I've heard people say, either it launches you into uh, life or you spend your whole life trying to work through what you experience in that, that construct. And so I don't know where you are today, but when we talk about family today, we talk about the family of God. The family of God is a sure and forever and real family. So we have a father that will never abandon us. He will never abandon us. And we learned some things today about how he thinks of us through Romans chapter 8, 12 to 17. So if I were to sum up everything that we've talked about so far, I want you to do this. Imagine with me, if you will, sitting in the first century in a house, somebody's house from the house church that is the church at Rome. And in the midst of this empire that is opulent, that is wealthy, that is full of economy, that is powerful, that is ever-expanding, that worships Caesar, that worships uh, deities that are famous mythologically because, uh, because we just need to appease the gods in order to sort of keep some level of peace and stay out of uh, chaos. They had all the same moral problems that we have in these days. And in fact, um, the pressure in that moment was unlike anything that you and I have faced uh, today when, it, when it, it, it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ. They had to make real decisions in order to follow Jesus, like choosing to say, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord. Like choosing the peace of a ris- peace, like the shalom of, of, a, of the risen Savior, the risen Nazarene over the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome that was offered in might by uh, Caesar. And so it, it, it was not easy to be a, a, a follower of Jesus in that, in that moment. And years past this, just 10 years, 15 years, the persecution would be, uh, would be horrendous. Uh, tradition says Christians doused in oil and burned on crosses not long after this, right? So everything that Paul is saying to them is preparing them for what is to come. And here in this section, he's telling us, you are a part of a forever family, the family of God, and here's how God thinks of you. And it's how he thinks of you and I too. And so let's stand, we'll read this. It's Romans chapter eight, 12 to 17. If you're our guest, We say this phrase, the very words at the end of the main text reading, uh, just to distinguish God's word from my own. So here's what the scripture says for today. 
So then brothers, <clears throat> every time it says brothers, the connotation is brothers and sisters. So then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Could be seated. So I want to start like this. Like this passage of scripture, we're going to be tempted to make this about us. So if you look at sort of the framework, it's going to say, uh, you're, you know, we're going to learn we're no longer obligated to the flesh, but to the spirit. And we're adopted sons and daughters of God and we're heirs. And we're going to be tempted to say, look, I'm, I'm a son, I'm an heir. Uh, but this really is about who God is more than about who we are. So the passage calls us to cry out like not I'm um, God's son or daughter, although that's true, but instead it, it, it's leading us to cry out, God is my father. It's about the father and his goodness to us. Now, uh, I do want to work through just, just uh, a couple of observations related to this uh, passage. I'm going to back up one verse to verse 11 so that we can kind of pick up where we left off because we start verse 12 with the word so, which kind of harkens back to what we just learned. So verse 11, it says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So this uh, chapter 8, verse 11, it's, it's ending this section, sort of ending this section of life and the spirit. And we're learning now that because we have life and the spirit, so then, or so, there are a couple things we should, should be mindful of. And the first one is this, that we are no longer obligated to the flesh, but to the spirit. So people, followers of Jesus, who have been justified by faith, the work that he did on the cross, they placed their faith in him for salvation. They have been justified by faith. It's all his work. Not any work of mine, not any work of yours, but all his work. And they have become part of a new family, a, a new household, a household of God. Paul would write in, in the book of Colossians that they've been transferred uh, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. Just two completely different households, two completely different fathers, two completely different inheritances. But we learn as part of this family of God that we are no longer obligated to the flesh, but to the spirit. That song that we sing and, and actually will sing today, No Longer Slaves, is actually just pouring from this section of scripture and one out of Galatians. It's the idea that we are no longer slaves to our flesh, 
because we've been indwelled by the Holy Spirit and now we can live life according to the Spirit. I love the fact that the Bible is teaching me that I'm not obligated to my flesh. Does your flesh tell you to do anything you shouldn't do? I'll just, I'll just come up with a couple. Um, eat all 12 donuts in the dozen donuts you just bought. Does anybody? Come on, raise your hand, be loud, be proud. Right, it's not good for you. But your flesh sort of cries out for that in just the right time. And there are many other things that your, your flesh may cry out for that, that, that is not good for you. It's not the best way of living, that it's not right. And you're not obligated to the flesh anymore. You're not a slave to your flesh. But now, because you're a part of the family of God, you can live life according to the Spirit. And if we look at this, beginning in verse 12, so then, brothers, we are debtors or obligated not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die what if you eat 12 donuts for breakfast lunch and dinner just for a while what's going to happen diabetes that's what's going to happen that's what's going to happen that will eventually get you these things that, that our flesh cries out for are, uh, sometimes are, are very, very bad for us in lots of different categories, but to, we're not obligated to live according to the flesh because it, it kills you if you live according to the flesh. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, I keep using this silly little illustration, uh, but it, it, let's go back to the 12 donuts for a, for a, a moment. So if you take the 12 donuts and you put them to death, in other words, you don't go buy them, or you eat one of them and you push them away. Does that sound impossible? How many of you feel like this is an impossible task, Pastor Brian? You have asked the impossible. Uh, you put to death what the flesh feels obligated to, and you begin to choose things that are uh, spirit-led, life Life and the spirit, like things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Now this, according to this passage of scripture, um, it says if you, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, if by the spirit you, you put to death the deeds of the body, um, you will live for all who are led by the spirit are, uh, uh, of God are sons of God. So it's like there's a God part and an our part. And there's always God's part and there's always our part, right? So the God part is that he has indwelled us. We have received the spirit. He has sealed us. And with that comes the ability to live the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. But our flesh is still crying out. It's like we have this daily choice to make every day. And that's our part. That's our part. The part where we say, I'm going to keep driving past the 12 donuts. Don't think I hate donuts. I love donuts. That's why I'm using this illustration. I could eat 12. You ever get Krispy Kreme like right off? <laughs> I grew up in Tennessee, and that's where they grew up, Krispy Kreme. And so it's, I could eat all 12 like that. But you put to death the deeds of the flesh. 
in order to live the things of the Spirit. And what, what we're learning here about the family of God is like we're different. If you're not in the family of God, you're totally obligated to your flesh. Why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you do everything your flesh tells you to do if you weren't obligated to Jesus? If you weren't in debt to Jesus for this work that he's done on the cross to justify you by your faith. Well, this is God's part to indwell you with the spirit. Our part is to kill off continually the deeds of the flesh. It is a present tense daily duty, not for our salvation, not for our justification. It's not an unaided action. The spirit helps us as we kill off the, uh, the, the deeds of the flesh, it is by the Spirit, but we have this obligation in Christ to kill off these deeds. Makes sense? And so we're no longer obligated to the flesh, which means we're no longer obligated to the, to, this is the good news of it, the, the, the penalty of sin and death. We're in debt to Christ. We're slaves to Christ, no longer slaves to our own Flesh. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 27, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, what would happen if you went to the donut shop right after this, and you saw me not with 12, but 24, and I'm pounding them, boom, 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 you would say, why, he's a hypocrite, right? It's a silly little illustration. But the same thing is true. Paul is saying, like, look, I buffet my body or I, I kill off the things that my flesh feels obligated so that as I walk out my life in Christ, and in his case, uh, preaching it to others, I myself would not be disqualified. The scripture, and this is an entire uh, other sermon, but the scripture talks a lot about prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Did you know those two things go together? For Baptists, it's prayer and potluck. But prayer and fasting is what is in the scripture. And many of us have never practiced fasting, not even for one meal or a 24-hour uh, period. Why would you practice fasting? What is the point? Well, we'd say, uh, biblically, the point is to put away a fleshly obligation in order to receive from God, spiritual uh, direction, guidance, connection with him. And so I'm going to say, I don't need lunch today. I want to spend that time with God. And it's actually teaching you in a very simple way to not be obligated to your flesh. It's crazy. Did you know you could not eat for a meal and not die? Did anyone know that? It's true. Uh, and so, again, uh, it's just, we see in the scripture, and, and I'm using just one illustration, but there are many ways our flesh says, hey, do this, do this, do this, do this, that we are to uh, kill off. And Paul says, this is, this is real life. And as members of the household of faith, we're not obligated to the flesh. We're not under the penalty of sin and death. We're obligated to the spirit, and he will help us kill off the deeds of the flesh. So we never stop fighting. We keep keep pushing in that category. This is our part, not for our salvation, not for our justification, for our best life in Christ. It's for our good and for his glory. 
Leon Morris, the theologian, said, there is a living that is death, and there is a putting to death that is life. I think that is the greatest sort of summation of this entire section. There is a living that is death, 12 donuts every meal all day long. There's a living that is death, and there is a putting to death that is life. You know, if you put to death sexual sin, if you put to death uh, um, fleshly appetites, if you put to death those things, there's life, and it is a beautiful thing. It's the best way of living. There is a living that is death, and there is a putting to death that is life. So this is the first thing we learn here in the household of God and the family of God. We're no longer obligated to the flesh, but to the spirit. And that is really good news because your flesh, when you live according to the flesh, it will eventually kill you. But life in the spirit is life eternal. Here's the second thing we learn. God thinks about us in a very particular way. We learn that we are God's adopted sons and daughters. Look at verse 14 to 16. For all who are led by the spirit are gods are of God, are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, uh, Abba, Father. The spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So what does adoption mean in this sense? Do you realize or did you know that adoption was not a Hebrew practice? It wasn't a thing. It's not a word. It wasn't. It wasn't something that, that happened uh, legally. I mean, this was uh, family and community, and it, it was it, everybody took care of everybody in a different way. Uh, this is a Greek term, a Roman term. It is a legal term in the context of Rome, and Paul's using it here in that particular way. It's a term that is only used five times in the New Testament, adoption, and it is only used by uh, Paul. Here's what it signifies. It signifies the full rights and privileges of sonship or daughterhood in a family to which one does not belong by nature. So I'm going to think about that definition for a minute. It is the full rights and privileges of sonship or daughterhood in a family to which one does not belong to by nature. So I'm born into sin. And accordingly, I don't belong to the family of God by nature. It is a a supernatural work that transforms me and moves me from this kingdom of darkness through faith in Jesus to the kingdom of light, to the household of God. It is an adoption of sorts, Paul is saying. The believer is admitted to the heavenly family to which he has no rights of his own, and now he's admitted in such a way that once he was an enemy of God, and now he doesn't just say, this is God, but he's called or she's called to say, this is my Abba. Abba. Abba is like, uh, it's, it's, what is it, like automatopoeia, like, like the word buzz. You know, it's like the babbling that you hear a kid in any language, some dada or papa, or it's just how it came out in Hebrew, Abba. Abba, and it's a term of affection, it's a term of intimacy, and you got to think about, like, uh, to to the Jewish mind, the the name of God is an unspeakable name. It's so holy, you can't have it on your tongue. 
You'll, in fact, you'll see some Jewish scholars, even today, they will write the name of God and they will write, if they're writing in English, G-D, because they can't even write the whole name of God because it's, it's so holy. It's, it's, it's represented in a covenant way by the tetragamon, which is Y-H-W-H. We get this word Yahweh that we, we say in English, but it's Y-H-W-H, and it just signifies this covenant name of God. So holy, so good, so sovereign, and so right, and yet Jesus told his disciples, when you pray, pray like this, this our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Paul is saying, like, when you've been transferred, uh, you've, uh, you've been adopted, you have full rights and privileges, like, why would you not call him Abba? You are his son and his daughter in that moment. You have been adopted by the sovereign king of the universe. He says it this way in Galatians chapter 4, 4 to 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Now, what happens when you... You, in a, in a Roman culture, a, a Roman legal system, when you're adopted, you receive all the rights and privileges of the family you've been adopted into, and all of what they are and who they are, their name. You get an inheritance. You are a son or a daughter, right? It's as if you were always there. This is the concept that Paul is talking about when he talks about you and me and all followers of Jesus uh, who have placed our faith in Christ to be justified by faith. It's, it's that we've, we've been now adopted into the household of God. I want you to think about this for a moment. Some people have a really hard time thinking about themselves in Christ as a son or a daughter of the Most High God. This is the theology that we learn in Romans chapter 8, is that you are a son. You are a daughter. If you think, oh, I'm not good enough to be a son. I'm not, I, 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 I'm not good enough to be a daughter. How could I be a daughter with, with God? Well, that's why we need Jesus. <laughs> we weren't good enough. We were sinners. All of us all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We weren't good enough, but that work that Jesus Christ did on the cross, who was the perfect son of God, sacrificed, atoning for our sins, overcoming the power of sin and death, death. you couldn't kill him. He went in the grave. He was resurrected. He ascended to the right hand of the Father. He's coming back again. He's the one that orchestrated the adoption. And now you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and you have all the rights and all the privileges as sons and daughters of the Most High God. And in case you think, like, I'm a terrible son or I'm a terrible daughter, I would pull you back to what I've pulled you back to the last probably four times in this series. Jesus told a story about his father. And the story we often think about, we often title it the story of the prodigal son. But it's really the story of a really good father who his son squandered everything and went away to a foreign land and sinned his, 
like crazy and was left with nothing and found himself in a pig pen eating the slop of pigs and thought to himself, it'd be better just to go home and be a servant in my dad's house than it would be to be here. And so he goes back home and it says, it says Jesus tells the story of the father saw his son coming from a long way off. And he said, get a robe and get a ring for his finger, get shoes for his feet. Let's kill a fattened calf. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate my son is coming home. This is how good the father is. He honors his adoption work. He keeps his promises, and he's done that here. Now, Paul goes on to say, unless in case you, you have, have doubts, uh, verse 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's the spirit that does the work of interceding before God and interceding with our own spirit to remind us in moments like this, like we really are sons and daughters of God. Verse 17, third observation that I would make that is unimaginable is that we are God's heirs along with Christ. If we've placed our faith in Jesus, then we are God's heirs along with Christ. This is part of being his adopted sons and daughters. But what, is this, what does this mean? Well, in our modern context, in a Roman context even, this means waiting for your father to die so you can get his stuff. That's not what it means in this scenario. It's not even what it meant in a Jewish uh, mindset. It's way more than that. It especially denotes this, the secure possession won by the Messiah. I'm an heir to the secure possession won by the Messiah. What did he win? Well, it's way more than he died on a cross to save me from my sins. He did do that. What did he win when he died on the cross and rose again and ascended to the right hand of the Father? What did he win? He won the kingdom of God. He won the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, the new earth. He won the right to be called the restorer of all things. He said, I am making all things new. He is the eternal sovereign king of the universe. He proved it. He won the right to judge all sin. He won the right to judge Satan and all of the demons. He, he won the right to throw them all into the lake of fire. He won the right to separate the sheep from the goats. He won the right to glorify his father completely. And he won the right to say to you and to me and to all who would follow him, who would place their faith in him, that you have been made right in Christ, even though you couldn't make yourself right. And because of that, you're an adopted son or daughter. Because of that, you will inherit the kingdom. Um, Paul says the term is to denote the full possession of all that the sonship uh, of Jesus means in the new age. It, it is everything. You have inherited everything. The cosmos, the creation, the restored creation, you've inherited everything. Listen to what uh, Galatians 4 uh, 7 says. It just reiterates, so you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. First Peter 1, 3 to 5, he says it this way. 
Blessed be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance, here's what it's like, that is imperishable, it's never gonna go away, it's undefiled, meaning it's perfect, it's unfading, it will not fade out or, or, or run out, it's kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In other words, you're gonna be glorified and glorified to an inheritance that's imperishable, unfading, undefiled. It's kept for you and it will never run out. This is where all God's people said, amen, because this, whatever this life gives to you here on the earth, good, bad, whatever the... The, 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 the reality is that in Christ, and this is where we can't get our heads around it because we have been so indoctrinated, I think is the right word, to think that this salvation is all about me. When in actuality, it's, it's Jesus bringing glory to the Father and winning all of it and restoring all of it and making it all new and then saying as an adopted son or daughter, as part of the family, you get to be a part of this for eternity, forever and ever and ever. God in his love has given us the kingdom and it is better than you imagine. I, I can hear it in people's uh, talk and their voice. It's for now and it's for later. It's the new earth, it's the new Jerusalem. You are the temple of God, so the scripture says. I don't know how many times people ask me like, are we getting ready to build that third temple up on the Temple Mount? I have no idea if they're gonna do that or not. But what I do see is that the scripture says over and over again that there will be, at the end, there will be no temple because there'll be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven, a new earth, and God is the temple and Jesus is the light. We're not looking for a building. We're looking for the kingdom of God to come, you see. We just reduce it to a red heifer and a third temple and a, a remnant. And we forget that this is the renewal, the restoration of the cosmos. Psalm 37, verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Now, we're not talking about that little strip of land called Israel. We're talking about the earth, the new heaven and the new earth. Matthew 5, 5. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. It's the interchangeable word for land. It's not just talking about this broken earth that you're, 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 you're looking at here, but it's the restored new earth, the new heaven, the new Jerusalem. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my namesake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. That's life forever and ever. But many who are first will be last, and last will be first. I'll just kind of keep going with the illustration. Have you ever pushed anybody out of line to get to the hot donuts? Anyone? I'm just saying. God and his love has given us the kingdom, and it's so much better than we can imagine. And it comes through Jesus, and we receive it as his adopted sons. But the second thing we learn in verse 17 about that is that heirs with Christ, they suffer with Christ on the path of glory. Look at verse 17, and we'll close. 
It says, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Have you ever noticed that in a family, when one member of the family suffers, the whole family suffers? The same is true here. It's the same particular relational concept. Since Christ suffered, and we see this over and over in the scriptures, since Christ suffered, uh, we will also suffer for a time in different ways. Um, And listen to what Paul said in Philippians 3, 10, and 11, uh, just crying out about his relationship with Jesus, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and by any means possible that I may attain the resurrection of the dead. In other words, Paul was saying, like, I'm excited to know him and the power of this resurrection that he's promised. But while I'm here to live as Christ, to die as gain, while I'm living as Christ, I will share in his sufferings, right? So that if that's suffering for the, for the sake of Christ, to honor him, or suffering to share uh, the gospel in the midst of a culture that's gospel intolerant, if it's suffering to love your enemy in it, even when your enemy doesn't love you back, Whatever the suffering is in the name of Christ, we embrace that as heirs knowing that the suffering is only for a time. It's only for a while because there is a path of glory, a path of glorification that is through Jesus and ends in this inheritance that is beyond our imagination. All of that to me is really good news. I'm not obligated to the flesh. I'm an adopted son. I'm an heir to the kingdom. And you are too, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've placed your faith in him. It's not that you've just been justified. That, that would have been good enough. It's not that, that you've just been forgiven of your sins. That would have been grace enough. But you've been, you've been made a son or daughter. You've, you've been given uh, an inheritance that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. It is the kingdom of God. It is the restored new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem, the restoration of all things. It's beyond what you can imagine. And you thought goodness was a box of 12 donuts. Man, I can't wait. There's probably gonna be really good food in heaven. I just want you to know the kingdom of God is gonna be good. Um, and I want, I, if I could like inject anything in you today, it would be this. That you could see yourself the way God sees you. And it wouldn't drive you to think, oh, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. If you could see yourself the way God sees you and and understand the sacrifice that he's made. Well, I think what Paul wanted that church in Rome to understand as they would be persecuted in the days ahead, I think what he wanted them to understand is the, the heart cry here is, God is my father. So I can say Jesus is Lord. I don't have to say Caesar is Lord because all this Roman Empire that looks great and everything, it's nothing compared to what I'm an heir to, to the kingdom of God, because look who my daddy is. Look who my father is. Now that could get you crucified in a Roman Empire, but it's still for Paul to live as Christ, to die as gain, inheritance, relational access to Almighty God for eternity as a son or a daughter. 
That means for now, even. You can go before him anytime you want. You can bow your head and pray. You can cry out to him. You can express your joy to him anytime you want. Why? Because he's the sovereign king of the universe? Yes, but also because you can call him Abba, Father, because of what Jesus did. So how do you respond to all this? Like, okay, that's, I'm not obligated to the flesh. I don't have to eat the donuts. I, I am, uh, I am a, a one who's been adopted. And I'm a son or daughter. I'm an heir. How do I respond to this? I think, I think in our best effort, and, our, and, and it's simple, I, I don't think there's enough like, enough we could express except to rhythmically come and worship. Uh, it's really hard to express something in repayment. So how would you, how would you respond to God? Well, I think, I think we just respond by walking with him in thanksgiving and the suffering and the joy. Like just walking with him, let the spirit lead us. Kill the deeds of the flesh daily and walk with him today and then tomorrow. And if you do that for 90 years and, you, and your heart stops and you step into eternity, you're gonna be walking with him all the rest of eternity in an inheritance that's unimaginable, I think. This is our response. Thanksgiving and the suffering and the glory, joy in being part of the family of God, assurance in God's work. All of this is our response. Would you bow your head and close your eyes and just ask the Lord to speak to you in these last moments together? Father, we are a people that sometimes don't even grasp how good you are and what you've set us free from and what you've adopted us to. So, Father, would you set deeply in our hearts as followers of Christ that we are part of this family of God, this household that will never end. God, would you bring joy to our lives because of it? Would you bring peace to our lives in just the knowing that we're a part of the family of God? Thank you for adopting us as sons and daughters. Thank you that we're not obligated to this flesh, but to you. Thank you for the inheritance that is to come. Thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us. You are a good and holy God. You're a perfect father. You are Abba. As much as you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, you are Abba, Father. We bless your name. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.